Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but television might be in a world of trouble globally. A new report from the UK-based Ubiquity has said as much. And with us today are three international television executives to talk about the future of TV and the future of TV advertising. It's troubled, but it is not all gloom and doom. Welcome to Justin Levin, who is the co-founder and director of Media Tell Events, who stages the future of TV advertising forums around the world. Christian Kurtz, Senior Vice President, Global Consumer Insights for Viacom CBS, the newly merged Viacom CBS, and Guy Bisson, Research Director at Ampere Analysis out of London uh, with some really interesting data around what's going on with streaming and a mashup in advertising video on demand. Ads are not dead yet. Sorry, people. Welcome, gents. Justin, to you first. Um, you travel around the world seeing different parts of the television uh, industry, the broadcast industry, North America, Europe, and through APAC. What's the big themes you're seeing? And is this ubiquity report a concern? Uh, yes, it is. And just to clarify what Mark Ritson said was he was concerned that clients are going to struggle to find what linear TV delivers for them. Struggle to replace, is that what you mean? Yes. Right. And I agree with him, not just because it's fashionable to agree with Ritson, but he's right. And what we do is we run around the world running the largest collection of events of TV advertising. So I get a chance to talk to clients, media agencies, networkers, networks and broadcasters, you know, in a one-to-one fashion and off the record. And what's what's really interesting is that we've we've promoted the power of telly and I think most brands, smart brands, realise the value of TV and specifically linear. And the problem is there's not much up there, out there to replace what linear does. And this is illustrated in that same report that you've just highlighted, that not all attention is equal. Now, according to this data, this is based on UK data, uh, TV, each ad was viewed for 14 seconds compared to digital social desktop, which was two to four seconds. Most brands are well aware it's very difficult to build a brand in a two to four second window. So perhaps that 14 seconds on a 30 inch, 50 inch screen is more valuable and or more so now that ratings are on the decline. So with this, within this landscape, what are networks and broadcasters doing about it? Your point and Ritson's point is that marketers are worried about how they're going to replace a high impact linear TV channel with something else. Is that the, is that the sort of the, the, the thrust of this? In order to grow your brand, TV has been a foundational product for marketers and it is on the decline in a severe way, particularly for young audiences and replacing that is going to be extremely difficult for brands and a lot of brands realising that. Are broadcasters realising it, Justin? And I think that's the big thing. Um, do they realise what they're facing as you travel around the continents? They do and... Um, I think if you look at sort of collaboration and what broadcasters are doing about it, I'd, the best word I can use for it is that there's lots of a, intent to do something about it. And there's some heavy flirting too, and there are some really good one-off examples. But in my view, there's there's not enough action in this regard. I, I always thought that broadcasters should have acted way earlier as a, a sort of step forward, as an aggressive play. But now they're doing it defensively. 
it obviously didn't play out like that. So now they are acting defensively. And that's just that's just the situation that we're in. Now, in Australia, a lot of locals struggle to believe this, but it is on the map in this regard. Wherever I travel, people are asking me, what are the Australians doing? How are they doing it? How are they collaborating? How does the industry work here? They're really fascinated around Voz and Mars and the, the innovations coming out of the market here. Guy Bisson, would you concur with what Justin's talking about? How troubled and how realistic are broadcasters about what they are facing now today? I think they're becoming realistic. I think there's been a lot of political um, need to try and promote linear as still very, very strong, which by some metrics it is. But the revolution that was kicked off by subscription video on demand, so paid video on demand, is now progressing to the free-to-air market, having a strong knock-on effect. And it's about embracing strategies within free-to-air TV, which is about to get a massive shake-up. Um, and accepting that change rather than running from it, wherein lies the answer as to what the industry needs to do. But in terms of a, a direct like-for-like replacement, I, I absolutely agree with Justin in terms of the brand-building ability of a linear experience. But one thing that can be done is to uh, realign the consumer experience of free television and particularly high-quality content in free television. And then we get into discussions around how one positions advertising within an advertising-supported streaming service and things like ad loads, so the volume of advertising. Right, and you think there's a revolution there. I just want to, just for context, in this Ubiquity Mind the Gap report, it's essentially saying that by 2022, an ad shown on linear television in 2018 will have reached 60% fewer teens in 2022 than it did in 18, 50% fewer 18 to 24-year-olds, and a third less 35 to 44-year-olds. So that's 2022. It's not batting the hatches down now. There's still audiences there, but that erosion we talk about is still coming. So, Guy, I, I do want to get unpack a little bit because as much as Justin talks about the Australian market being collaborative and, and progressive, versus the the rest of the world we still see that politicking that you talk about and and it's it's sort of an entrenched interest is that the main reason why the sector hasn't adapted as quickly as it needs to what's the key reasons for the blockages um i think that's one of the main reasons uh, and i also think it's a it's a fear um and that fear is often encapsulated in the word netflix although that is of course a paid platform but it it, it that is the sort of poster child for all of the changes that we're seeing. Um, thinking about what linear TV will deliver in five years' time, I'm not sure is entirely useful because what we need to think about is what linear TV will look like in five years' time, which I think is a slightly different question. Once we have um, advertising-supported, strong advertising-supported, aggregated um, streaming alternatives to linear TV then the opportunity is to get similar impact. It's just that we're at the very cusp of um, the complete revolution of free-to-air ad-supported streaming that we've already been through in the subscription streaming um, environment. And, and that's the next step that we're on the cusp of. When we start to progress down that road, I do think it will become slightly less scary um, and, and thinking about it in terms of what a linear channel will deliver will no longer be relevant. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that it's a, an absolute disaster. It's about embracing that opportunity um, and monetizing it correctly and capturing that audience back. 
so Guy, most of us think that consumers don't want advertising, but we're starting to see some changes in the, in the model and Hulu is a really good example of this in terms of a hybrid. Talk, talk us through what actually happened there and the viewer response to, to an ad-supported streaming service. Yeah, so this is where the hybrid model really comes into its own and, and, and we can see the strength of that opportunity. Um, with Hulu, it started off largely as a, a paid service like Netflix, but they, as they began to introduce an advertising tier at lower cost, customers began or viewers began to transition to that so that today more than 70% of uh, Hulu customers are taking the ad-supported tier for which they also pay a subscription but it's a lower subscription. And a lower ad load than what they're probably used to elsewhere, are they? Uh, Yes, it's slightly lower, but um, we can also look at some of the upcoming launches, like Peacock um, from NBC in the US, where they have gone in with three tiers, and you can have a tier where you get no advertising at all. But it was really interesting when they announced that platform, they barely mentioned that. You, you 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 blink and you miss that part of the announcement. The two tiers that they're targeting are a, a content uh, a tier with less content um, at one price, slightly higher with more content, but both of which have advertising, and that's that's the hybrid opportunity. That'll be a bit of music to your ears, Justin. You like to hear that? Well, I think this illustrates a point that we've heard in this industry that people don't like advertising. It's not based on anything. It's based on feelings. We're not interested in feelings. We're interested in hard research. And the Hulu model is a prime example of customers. Do you want to pay a high price or a low price and have ads? Most of them pick low price and ads. And that's why you're going to see a lot of these AFOD platforms coming to the market. Christian, we'll get your thoughts on that. But first up, Guy sort of mentioned what linear looks like in five years' time will be very different to what we understand. The big screen coming through, well, in the US, it's obviously cable more than it is terrestrial like we have in Australia. The interesting thing about that is that your consumer study, it's global, I think however many thousand people you'll tell us that, but the sentiment towards television is very, very strong despite the numbers showing that at least in linear, there's a drop-off, a significant drop-off in, in under 40s. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting when you look at it from a consumer perspective, which is what we were setting out to do, um, 16 countries, Australia included, all that type of stuff. Um, we started out by asking people, what does TV mean to you? What is it? To them, TV is defined as content. It's the shows and movies I watch. It doesn't matter what platform it's on. It doesn't matter what screen it comes through. It doesn't matter what cable or wire it comes through or no wire at all. It truly is about the content and it's about the engagement with the content. So that really gives me hope because as a content company, we're storytellers. We want to tell stories. We want to figure out how to get them to the consumer. So that's the one thing. The other thing is there is a fundamentally different um, engagement by consumers with lean forward content and lean backwards content. And on demand, by definition, the way we're talking about it is always lean forward, right? I have to make a conscious decision. Um, Linear is much more versatile and flexible because I can lean forward and tune in at whatever time for the news or the sports or the event or the latest soap opera or whatever it is. But I can also consume that in a lean back way. And that is the consumption that is fundamentally underestimated by everybody in the industry, including by marketers. Um, And I think that's where an interesting element is. The interesting element with linear on that too is that what we're seeing also, and we're seeing this in a number of markets, is that linear is 
is bleeding into the OTT world, if you will. It's, it's not on demand, so I'm not using that. But it's not just over the air or cable. It's the virtual MVPDs. It's the cable companies that have no cables. It is the AVOD services like our own Pluto TV that has linear streams as opposed to just on-demand elements. So I think linear is not going to go away. There's always going to be a need for that. Now, what's on these channels will clearly vary over time and and the question does become well this high production value scripted drama that one thing where's the economics for that um but i think it's always going to be an and and from a consumer perspective what we're seeing today is that the benefits of tv as an ecosystem continue to be the same thing it's three things essentially it brings people together in the home and outside the home, right? It's There's nothing easier than sitting down on the sofa and spending time with the people around you by watching something and Gogglebox coming back on air in Australia this week. As a researcher, by the way, there's nothing better than watching people watch TV. Yes. <laughs> um, but that's exactly that. Problems, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but that's, that's exactly the point, right? You're coming together, you're talking about something. So that's one thing. Second thing is the social currency that that gives you. If you're looking at, at the... The, the way forward on demand world, um, you've got to talk to people on Monday about something. What are you going to talk about? You're going to talk about TV. Um, and you're not going to talk about the 15th episode of the third season of the one show that you and maybe your neighbor watched. Um, but you have no common ground at that point. And then the third thing is the relaxation. And the relaxation doesn't happen in the lean forward way. It happens in the lean backward way. And one of our respondents in the UK was even talking about, and this was a 20-year-old, he was talking about, well, hang on a second. If I just spent 20 minutes deciding what to watch, then I have to give this thing my full attention because otherwise it feels a waste of my time, of my 20 minutes. Um, and that means it's high energy, it's stressful. That can't be relaxing that way, right? Mm -hmm. And we're seeing the same thing in a lot of on-demand environments. A lot of the content that's consumed is not new stuff. It's the familiar stuff. It's the nostalgic stuff. It's the stuff that I don't have to think hard about to switch on because that's where we're starting to see the relaxation coming through again as well. Christian, have you ever done any research in the effectiveness of on-demand versus a linear environment? From a marketing perspective? Yes. We haven't because that's not really... Where, where we live, but from everything that I've read and I've seen, um, I think the effectiveness is slightly different because the ads are doing different things. We've seen a lot of stuff around YouTube advertising, for example, where a lot of people are just getting annoyed by the ad because I'm deliberately wanting to watch this thing, so why are you putting an ad in front of me? While in a linear environment, um, the ads, even though the attention may be slightly different, the effect and the impact is, is really, really strong. Classic network response, isn't it, to hammer Google? <laughs> well, I don't mind that, by the way. Guy, I want to ask you, though, this, this is really interesting what Christian's talking about here, where you know, we're so conditioned, at least in the commentary and uh, the debate in this market, around if it's not on demand, what you want, when you want, how you want it, it's dead. What Christian's talking about is a different delivery mechanism, i.e. delivered through a, 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 an internet pipe, if you like, but it's still a linear behaviour in that give me, I don't want to choose, tell me what, just I'm taking what's given to me. That's contrary to some of the, a lot of the conversation that goes on in this market. Well, it's, it's, it's very similar to what I was saying when I said, what is the shape of linear TV in five years' time rather than talk about what's there now, what it will look like, it's how does it change and how does it evolve? And I think two things are missing from the ad-supported environment in streaming at the moment. Um, and those two, two, two things are um, aggregation is one, because if we think about the television set, the main screen in the house, it's a great aggregator of channels. And yet when we think about streaming services, we go into Netflix or we go into Amazon Prime, they're single 
um, interface experiences and they take us out of the television-like aggregated environment. So that's one thing that needs needs to be solved. Um, and the other thing that needs to be solved is how we engage with the content in a global ad-supported streaming environment. So Pluto TV, um, Tubi and some of the other AVOD services, they're beginning to go global. But as those roll out, as the content they offer becomes more and more premium, like linear television today, um, as the ad models are developed there around how the ad load is delivered, it, it will become a streaming linear-like experience. So it's just about managing that shift rather than running away from the fact that there are changes going on. Change is opportunity if you're in business. If I can add to that as well, from a consumer perspective, the fir your first point, the, the fragmentation, if you will, right? I, I think we all agree we're going to see more fragmentation over the next, I don't know, three, four years in services in general because everybody's launching their own, right? From a consumer perspective, we're already seeing that that's getting a lot to them. People want TV to be easier than it is. Um, and one of the interesting conversations that was happening even on, on the Twitter sphere when Disney Plus launched in the US, um, there was a lot of conversation around, oh my God, isn't this just, like this warrants rebundling and consumers are starting to pick up that language. And that, by the way, is what a lot of the cable companies around the world are trying to do by building all of this stuff back into their ecosystem somehow one way or the other. So I think we'll see a lot of fragmentation, a lot of disruption. And from a consumer perspective, they would agree completely with what you just said is we just need it to be simple. Um, and it used to be simple. It gets got complicated. It's getting really complicated now. Um, and there has to be some simplification again. Are you feeling better at the moment, Justin, about what Guy and Christian are saying in regards to a lean back linear like experience delivered digitally that can do something to maintain that advertising impact that linear television does in different formats? And did that make sense? <laughs> It, it did make sense. Okay, I, think, I think going back to the business models is is quite interesting because we, we've looked at this. The SVOD platforms out there are privately funded by and large, and we can't figure out whether they make any money. And we're pretty damn sure that they don't. So that's why we've got, that's why Guy and his firm have called 2020 the year of ADVOD. And lots of people are saying that because we need advertising to fund content. It's the only way it works. So we're going to see a lot more of this. The major question for me is in these individual markets, is whether the broadcasters can perhaps work together to launch their own AdVOD proposition or whether they do it in silos. I don't think that's a good idea. I think there's too much fragmentation out there already. I think they're better off working together. They're better off making TV more efficient to buy uh, and to trade. Unified buying, perhaps, across all these platforms would be a good idea. Again, very difficult to execute, but it's something that they should do. A lot of brands complain that it's difficult to buy TV, to buy the audiences. It's expensive. Production costs are high. You have to produce so many different ads for so many different formats and platforms to get the same amount of eyeballs that you could have got five years ago. And TV haven't changed. They need to become more digital-like in the way that they trade and the metrics that they offer and the measurement that they support clients with. So there's all those changes need to come in. Whether they'll happen or not, whether that's a utopian world that I'm... Um, outlining there that's just not going to happen who knows where's your money guy do you think it will and you talk about this avod avalanche and justin mentioned you know your your case study on hulu with a hybrid 
is that one version that's likely to rise in ascendancy or is it will it be quite split in terms of what these what these operators look like so first of all yes i think it will happen we're just in a period of intense and extreme disruption but we've been here before when digital television came along that was a period of intense disruption for the channel business it's just about finding the pathway through that disruption um so you know lessons that we've learned in the past um, we can apply today. And, and once we begin to re-aggregate, once we begin to think about, as Justin says, collaborations and co- cooperations, which we're seeing in Europe among um, broadcasters, and once we say, okay, this gives us the opportunity to embrace maybe subscription that we didn't do before. It gives us the opportunity to look at how we make and position content. It gives us opportunity to look how we work together where we wouldn't have done that in a traditional television environment. And once we start to embrace all that, we'll, we'll naturally get this re-aggregation uh, in, into a platform that looks a lot more like um, what we're familiar with today, just in a streaming environment. So you think the broadcast leopard can change its spots and collaboration and getting... It. So I, I asked that because 10 years ago, the broadcast industry here had the opportunity to do something jointly with Hulu as it was still emerging uh, out of out of the US. And of course, at that point, to your point, Guy, lots of politics came in and everyone thought they could do it on their own and it was all fine and so everything fell apart. Ten years on, we see see what we're seeing now. So you're optimistic that the sector will get it right this time. They'll drop their historical walls. I think we're getting to a point in behavioural shifts where, you know, when we get to the point, as we did in the pay television business, where you cannot deny that some sort of impact is going on and that impact is growing, then you have to. You have to or someone else will and they will take that business. And I think it also comes down to how the players understand themselves as long as I think of myself as a broadcast company, I'm never going to get to that point. If I start transitioning and think of myself as a company that makes great shows and that I have to get to people and fund somehow, then you absolutely can get there. I think also to support what broadcasters are trying to do, you have to understand that they're held at a much higher standard. We're just talking about advertising here than digital. They really are. They cannot mess it up. And even in the regulatory frameworks in the various countries, they are they are held accountable for whatever they do. They cannot roll out a product or a new service and and it and it can't be wrong or bad. It can't it has to work. And that's a real problem because in any innovative environment, there's risk involved. And that has made broadcasters, in my view, risk averse, rightly or wrongly, and it's limited their ability to really innovate. I mean, to to Justin's point, that's a very fair point. I mean, even regulators in Europe prevented broadcasters from cooperating on streaming platforms until fairly recently. So we've just seen them beginning to emerge in the Netherlands, in France. Um, In the UK, you could argue BritBox is a a collaboration, Mm. BBC ITV. But before that, regulators stopped collaboration. So the whole industry has moved on. Was it Project Kangaroo in the UK? Yeah. Was it the BBC? And, yeah. and, and that was 10 longer. And the, the At least. Competition yeah. regulators blocked that as well. That was BBC and the commercial broadcasters doing something. So you're right. Great point. One of the drivers for streaming is the viewer experience. No ads, what you want, when you want it. And we are seeing this frustration emerge with ad loads and advertising in all markets. So I'm interested as we move to a streaming service, what do ad loads look like? But Christian, in the US, there's been a lot of 
trials and, and, and pilots done by many of the broadcasters in the US about trying to reduce ad loads. You've done it too. Why is that happening and is it having an impact? Yeah, I think you'd have to start by understanding that the US TV marketplace essentially probably is the most ad heavy, cluttered. heavy, cluttered, bad experience as a consumer you could possibly imagine, right? I agree. As a European, it's difficult. Um, but that's really the result um, of, of that is, okay, well, we have to figure out, first of all, if you, if you stuff all of the, the hour full of ads, the ads are going to have less impact. Um, and that's the conversation that started to be happening. It's like um, in, the, in the network primetime first break show uh, for those shows, it now tends to be 60 seconds, 30 seconds ads that are sold at a significant premium because the advertiser also has to recognize that a less cluttered environment means I have to pay more per ad. Um, and that's the, the contractual negotiations that are going on throughout there. I think it has made a difference. I think from a consumer perspective, there's starting to be an acknowledgement that the ads are actually there for a reason. Um, and you, again, going back to the Hulu case study in the on-demand world, that's where you see that, right? As soon as a consumer has an option of saying you pay X or you pay slightly less than that, but you get a couple of ads, people are going to go there because we're now attributed value to watching those ads in the consumer mind. And they're willing to accept that, but it has to be a fair trade, whatever that means. So I'm um, Justin, I'm interested in this from you, your perspective because, you know, in decades past, you could argue that the broadcasters were just exploiting their, their leverage to just stack ads and, and load it. Probably the last five, six, seven, eight years, it's been more a question of economics as, as ironically as advertisers and marketers drive down their cost for television advertising or the, what they want to pay more ad loads have been kicked in to try and offset that. Um, it's a vicious circle. And do you see a way out? And what do you think about ad loads? What are you hearing um, around the world on, on that front? Yeah, that this is a major problem because as linear audiences are declining to keep the profitability of these networks up, they've been upping the prices, but with no real metrics behind them that make any sense. So the way that we trade and the, the measurement tools that we offer advertisers have to change fundamentally and this market here is on a shared basis and so the networks go to the agencies they put a price ceiling and they fight for extra share that is just a cycle for a disaster actually you think the australian market is a bit weird don't you or complex i just think that they've got this brilliant collaborative story and then they trade on a shared model which is a share model, market share model. You market mean? share model, yeah. which is which is an anti-collaborative model, in right. my opinion. And and all that does, if you go to an agency and say, hey, you get to pay less, but you nick a bit of share off nine, brilliant, but you're driving price down. You're putting a ceiling on price with no bottom. And that's, a, that's a, just a bad cycle. That's not monetizing your inventory based on what it's worth. That's not realizing the value of your medium. So that fundamental changes have to come to the way that... TV is traded and it has to be more aligned with performance and outcomes. Any hope? Yeah. The, the one, one thing I love about this market here is the engagement from the buy side to facilitate that change, to evolve the market. It, it's honestly is like... from media agencies or from marketers? Which both. You think, eight, right. Both. Absolutely. They are, they are super engaged with the market here and they are coming up with a lot of these views. They're saying we've got to change the way we trade. They know that they're going to kill the market, and that's ad-funded telly, if they continue trading like this. And they know that's bad for the overall goal. The overall goal, by the way, for ad-funded telly, who are supporting clients and media agents supporting clients, is growing their brands. You grow their brands, everyone wins. And they know if you lose telly, it's become very, very difficult to do that. So there is a, a huge appetite 
to definitely to change, to protect and to evolve and to innovate the market here from the buy side. Globally, Guy, uh, or at least in Europe, what's your sense on the revision of ad loans and needing to improve the viewer experience for an ad-supported operation? I think it's absolutely essential, but it's a fantastic opportunity. One other cycle that we we, we haven't talked about is the premification of content, the um, increasing budgets that we're seeing going into scripted drama content, for example. Um, as a free-to-air network, there's the opportunity to take that drama and change the viewer experience of it by the way that you manage the advertising. And that then opens up the opportunity to explore hybrid models. So you can say you can have less ads and you can pay a bit or you can have a couple more and pay nothing, which is what um, some of the studio groups, NBC Universal, for example, is planning to do with its new streaming service. And therein lies the solution. It, it, it's saying this is changing, this is opportunity, we can do what we're good at, one of which is content, one of which is really good content, but has been ruined in some ways by Adelaide, particularly in the US, for example. We can change that whole relationship by leveraging the changes that are going on in the market. And I also think we have to think more creatively about what marketing means in the context of content. Because it's not just about the 15 or 30 or 60 second spot. Um, it's about brand integration. It's about um, commercial integrating the commercial message into that type of content. Because that's the only way you get into a now ad-free on-demand environment as well. And also, by the way, that makes watching it much more palatable to, to the consumer. Justin talks about any research done that shows a better impact from lower ad loads, you must be seeing something. There's been lots of pilots done. Is there anything we can get our claws on there? I think it's still early. It's still early days, but the, all the signals that we're seeing are very encouraging. So we're getting there, but it's, it's still very piecemeal. It's just a matter of whether clients are willing to pay for that extra impact because we're still not measuring it in a context that clients are comfortable with. So that, that's a really important piece of the puzzle. To wrap up, two final thoughts from each of you on uh, on on where broadcasters going and what the key things will be in the next couple of years. Um, start with you, Guy. What what are the two flashpoints? Um, embracing change um, and leveraging strengths would be would be the two points that I would make, and accepting that change is going on. And so far, that's been a little bit slow. Yeah, not just in Australia. I think it, it's a criticism that's fair to level at pretty much any country. But yes, it's been a little bit slow. Um, totally agree with what Guy was saying. On top of that, my two are, it's about content. We're storytellers, right? So we have to figure out what stories do we want to tell, whom and how, and then collaboration. And I think um, everything that's going on around Think TV and around all of those things are great started initiatives, but there's got to be more. And Justin, the final word from the man, the future of TV advertising. Uh, trading and measurement. And by measurement, I mean proving the value of your medium in a, in a sort of performance outcomes-based context. And trading, by trading you mean? Changing entirely the way that we trade. Um, we're going to understand that an impression is not the same across all the different platforms and we're going to value it accordingly. And genuinely, do you think the buy side, buyers get that and want that? Yeah, mostly. The smart ones do. Good answer. Gents, thanks for that. Um, look forward to um, a 2025 conversation to see whether we're uh, actually on the money or talking through our uh, hats. So good, uh, safe travels. Good to see you. Till next time. Thank, Thank you. you. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. 
For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.